Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and uh, we've been going through this series uh, called Winning the Race of Life. We started it the first uh, Sunday of the year, and we've been looking at these passages from the Word of God, uh, specifically ones where the Apostle Paul uh, wrote and used these sports illustrations. He used sports illustrations to give us biblical principles on how to win at life. And that's what we've been talking about, just winning in life. And if you remember in week one, we talked about the fact that we must determine what winning looks like in our lives. If we're going to so run that ye may obtain, then you need to determine what, what does that look like. And in week two, we talked about winning in life means that we must choose the eternal over the temporal. And in week three, we learned about the fact that winning in life also requires that we must choose the important over the immediate. And uh, last week, we talked about the fact that we can't get distracted. If we're going to win at life, we must uh, be disciplined enough to not get distracted. Today, we're going to finish this series, and uh, today we're going to look at this idea of how to finish well or finishing your course. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. If you look down at verse number 6, 2 Timothy chapter number 4 and verse 6. Of course, this is one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's last letters, and he's talking about his impending death, his coming death. Notice in verse 6, he says, for I am now ready to be offered, he says, and the time of my departure is at hand. And we've kind of been talking about this throughout the series, and it's this idea that you are aware of and that I am aware of, and it is that we will all die and depart someday. Someday we will all end our lives. Here the Apostle Paul gets to the end of his life and he says, look, the time of my departure is at hand. That term at hand means it's, it's coming. It's the next, in fact, Paul is saying it's the next kind of major thing in my life. And from little children, we have this thing where we're always looking to the next thing, right? Uh, little kids are, are looking for that next thing that they can do when they can finally ride a bike when they can finally ride a bike without training wheels, when they can drive, right? When they can get their driver's license, when they can do... And, and that's what we're always taught, we're thinking about, when they can uh, uh, get a job. And then when you get a job, you're looking forward to retirement, right? We're always looking for the next event. And Paul is saying, hey, the next event in my life is death. He says, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. But what's interesting to me is that the Apostle Paul uses this terminology when he talks about his impending death, his coming death, the fact that I'm going to die soon, I'm an old man, I've lived my life, I've done what I'm going to do. What's really interesting to me is not the fact that we're, he's going to die or that he realizes that, uh, that he's going to die, because we all realize that. In fact, the Bible says this, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. And we all understand that one day we're going to die. What's very interesting to me about this verse is the first part of the verse where he says this, For I am now ready. He says, I'm going to die, but you know what? I'm ready to die. He says, For I am now ready to be offered, 
and the time of my departure is at hand. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul is telling us, I have lived my life in such a way. And he would be the first to say, I have not been perfect. I have made mistakes. I have had sin in my life and failures in my life. There are things that I regret. Paul would tell us there are things that I regret that I wish I could go back and redo. But he says, I have lived my life in such a way. I have lived my life in such a way that when he got to the end of his life, he said, I'm ready for the judgment day. I'm ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to kind of dissect this passage with you, and I want to give you three things that the Apostle Paul actually gives us in regards to how to be ready to die, how to be ready to finish your course. Because if you're going to win at life, if you're going to win in the race of life, it's going to require you ending well. Winning in life means that we must end our lives well. And the Apostle Paul, he says, I am ready. He says, I'm not perfect and I've made mistakes and I've got regrets, but I've lived my life in such a way. And we've been learning about Paul's philosophy of life. He said, I've so ran and I've so fought and I've uh, pressed toward a mark and I've uh, lived my life with a purpose and with principles and with uh, productivity. And he says, I've, I've ended, I'm coming to the end of my life. And he said, I'm just telling you, I'm ready uh, for the day of my departure. And look, that's what you want, and that's what I want. The goal, one of our goals in life ought to be this, to get to the end of our lives with as few regrets as possible. To be able to get to the end of our lives and say, yes, of course, we're, none of us are perfect. We're all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We're all going to have some regrets, but I want to get to the end with as few regrets as possible and to be able to say, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet my maker. I'm ready for the day of judgment. I'm ready for the day when the things that were done in my body and in my life will be judged by God to see whether they were good, whether they were of eternal value. And Paul gives us three aspects to that, three things that helped him with that. And I want, I want to give those to you, and I'd encourage you to write these down. Number one, to win at life, we must end our lives well. And what that means is that we must fight the good fight. Notice what he says there in verse 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. You say, Paul, you're now elderly. You're, you're, you've lived your life. You've made an impact. You've had an influence. You've started churches. You, you've done. You've succeeded in the area that you uh, uh, went, you gave your life into. And, and if we were to ask Paul, what is it? What is it that allowed you to get to the end of your life as an old man and say, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul, what allowed you to get there? He would say this. He said, well, I fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. And I've already talked about this prior in this series, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I do want to touch on it just again. You're there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. That's a famous phrase, I have fought a good fight. I want you to notice Paul uses a similar phrase earlier in 1 Timothy. If you would, just go there real quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Because usually when we see that phrase, I have fought a good fight, we talk about the fact that we need to fight well, and we need to fight a, a, a you know, give them a good fight and, 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 and fight well in the fight. And, and I'm not saying that's a wrong application, and I'm not saying that's a wrong way to look at it. That's definitely a, 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 a good way to be motivated. But I want you to notice, I don't believe that that's Paul's uh, 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 primary application, because when he gives the same phrase in 1 Timothy 6.12, he says this, he tells Timothy... In, in, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, I have fought a good fight. In 1 Timothy, he exhorts Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. 
And what I want you to notice, and I've already made this point, but I want to make it again, it's this, that the, the, the adjective there, good, the describing word of good, is not, it's, it's not about the fighting, it's about the fight itself. He says, fight the good fight. He's not telling Timothy, fight well. He's, telling, he's not telling him, fight good, for, for, for you know, using improper uh, English there. He's not telling him, fight well. He's telling them, fight in the good fight. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And then in 2 Timothy, if you would go back there, when Paul says, I have fought a good fight, I don't think he's giving himself a compliment saying, man, I fought well. I think what he's saying is, I fought in the right fight. I, 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 and I, now Paul fought well. But he's not saying, I fought, in, I fought well. He's saying, I fought in the correct fight. And if you want to get to the end of your life, and if I want to get to the end of my life and say, I am ready. I'm not without regret, but I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I, I, I've done what I needed to do, and I'm ready to meet my maker. Then you and I must engage ourselves in the correct fight. Failure, failure would be to fight well in the wrong fight. And Paul says, look, you want to win? Then you must fight the good fight. What do you mean, Paul? You want me to fight well? Well, I hope you fight well, but more than fighting well, make sure you fight in the right fight. It'd be failure to fight well in the wrong fight. He says, fight. He says, I have fought the good fight of faith. Now, I'd like you to keep your place there in 2 Timothy. That's obviously our text for this morning. Go with me to the book of Mark, if you would. Towards the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew and Mark, Mark chapter 9. And I want you to understand, when we talk about fighting the good fight, or being engaged in the good fight, what we're really talking about is this word matter. And isn't this true about you and about me and about all human beings? Is that we all have a desire to matter? I mean, don't you want your life to matter? Don't you want to get to the end? Who, who has a goal who says, I want to get to the end of my life, and at the end of my life, nothing I did ever mattered. Nothing mattered, and I mattered to no one. I impacted nothing. I influenced no one. There's no one that will miss me. There's no one that will be glad that I was even in their lives. Who wants to live their lives that way? And the truth is this, that we all want to get to the end of our lives having mattered in life and having mattered to someone's life. We all want to get to the end of our lives and be able to say that we impacted something or someone, that we influenced something or someone. We all desire greatness in the sense that we could say that we've mattered somehow. And there's nothing wrong with that. I believe that's a God-given desire that He's put in all of us. We all want to matter. And we want to matter to someone. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 33, we kind of see this played out with the disciples. I want you to notice, Mark 9, 33, the Bible says this, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them. So Jesus with his disciples, and he's in this house, they're kind of hanging out, and he asked them a question. He says, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves, by the way? And what he's saying is, when we were traveling here, I noticed, you know, I was in the front and you guys were in the back, but I overheard you guys talking and it looked like you were arguing. And when he got to the house, they're all sitting around and he said, what is it that you guys were arguing about? I love it when Jesus asks these questions he already knows the answer to. And in verse 34, 
the Bible says, but they held their peace. They're a little embarrassed. Why? For by the way they had disputed among themselves, who should be the greatest? And by the way, they're, they're fighting. Well, no, I, I'm the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. And here's what they're really arguing about. Who's going to make the biggest impact? Who's going to have the greatest influence? Who's going to matter the most? Because we all want to matter. In fact, this was a common thing with the disciples. Go to Luke, if you would. Luke chapter 22. You're there in Mark. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 22. Look at verse 24. Luke 22 and verse 24. And do me a favor, when you get to Luke, put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Luke 22, look at verse 24. The Bible says here, and there was also a strife among them, the disciples. They're arguing, they're fighting. What are they fighting about? Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now, obviously, they should not be fighting about, and they shouldn't be arguing about the fact that uh, I'm going to be greater than you, and I'm going to have a bigger impact than you, and I'm going to have a greater influence. Look, we should not be comparing ourselves among ourselves. They that compare themselves among themselves, the Bible says, are not wise. But I want you to understand that the reason that disciples are even having this conversation is because there's something innately human about all of us having a desire to matter, wanting to get to the end of our lives, having mattered. And I want you to notice because Jesus kind of weighs into this conversation and he gives his opinion. And by the way, anytime Jesus gives his opinion about anything, we ought to listen. And he kind of weighs into this and he gives us a few thoughts here about mattering because they're arguing about which of us are going to be the greatest, which of us are going to be the greatest. So he says, let me give you a lesson on greatness. Look at verse 25. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship. What's lordship? Authority, success. They climbed the ladder. They're at the top. He says, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. He says, Look, we look at the world and we look at those who are succeeding in the world. He's talking about lords of cities and towns. You and I would call them CEOs of companies, sports stars, and legends. People who have climbed in whatever career they've climbed. And he says, you know, they climb and they rise and they get to the top. And they've got people below them. And he calls them benefactors. They've got people below them who they benefit from. That's what the word benefactor means. Someone from which you can benefit. And he says, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Then notice what he says in verse 26. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, greatness by the world standard and greatness by the kingdom of God standards are two different things. In the world, to be great, you want to have as many people below you from which you are benefiting from. That's what success looks like in the world. I'm the boss. I'm in charge. I've got more money. I've got more possessions. I've got more authority. I've got more sway, more influence. I've got, I, I've got more ability to make decisions. I'm in charge, and you are my benefactor. I benefit from you. He says that's what, that's what success looks like. That's what greatness looks like in the world. He says, in the, in the economy of the kingdom of God, it's different. Notice verse 26. But ye shall not be so. 
But he that is greatest among you. He said, you want to have the greatest influence? You want to have the greatest impact? You want to fight in the right fight? Jesus would say. He's saying, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief as he that doth serve. He says, for whether is greater. And again, he's using human logic here. He says, by human standards, he's saying, by the world standard, he said, who is greater? He that sitteth at me or he that serveth? He says, look, by human standards, if you and I walked into uh, 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 an event, a conference, a restaurant, or whatever, and you walk in and there's a nice table with a nice cloth with nice dishes and decorations and people dressed nicely, sitting down, and they are being served... Who would you say is greater in that situation? Who's the boss? Who's the celebrity? Who's the star? Who's the greatest in that situation? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying for, he, he says, but you shall not be so. He that is greatest among, among you, let him be the younger. And he that is chief as he that does serve. Verse 27, for whether is greater, he that sitteth at me, the one that's sitting there eating, or he that serveth. And then he says this, is not he that sitteth at me? You think, by the world standard, isn't the guy sitting there being served greater than the one serving? And we would all say yes. The one being served is greater. Has a higher impact, a higher influence. But then Jesus says this. He says, but, and don't miss this. He says, but I am among you as he that serveth. And Jesus says, by the world standards, the one that serves is lesser is the benefactor to the one being served. But he said, please understand this, Jesus would say, I am among you as one that serveth. And Jesus is teaching a principle about greatness, and the principle about greatness is this, that our impact or influence in this world will not be determined by the measure of success you achieve or the amount of possessions you accumulate. It will be determined by the investment you make in other relationships. I know I was a little wordy, but I just want to say it again. Our impact, our influence in this world, our impact and our influence, our greatness in this world will not be based on the measure of success you achieve or the amount of possessions that you accumulate. It will be determined by the investment that you make in other human relationships. Jesus says this, if you want to be great, because remember, that's what they're arguing about. Which one of us will be the greatest? Which one of us will be the greatest? Which one of us will be remembered the most, will be honored the most, will have the highest influence and the highest impact? And Jesus says, well, don't try to be the Lord and try to have as many benefactors. They said, that won't get you anywhere. They'll forget you if you do that. They won't remember you. In fact, they might remember you in a bad way. He says, you want to make an impact? You want to have an influence? You want to win at life? He says, the impact you make will not be determined by your achievement or your accumulation. It'll be determined by the investment you make in the lives of others. Praise the Lord. And here's what he's saying. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I fought the good fight. Paul would say, I did not spend my life accumulating things. And I did not spend my life climbing up some corporate ladder. And there's nothing wrong with possessions and there's nothing wrong with success. But if that's all you're living for, you will lose. Because at the end of your life, at the end of your life, the only value that you will have at the end of your life is how you invested yourself in the lives of others. It's the relationship you have. And Paul, Paul would say, Paul says, I'm an old man. 
I'm ready to die, and I've got regrets, but I'm ready. I've got regrets, but I've lived. I've done what I should have done. I've ran as I should have ran. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be offered the time of my departures ahead. How'd you do it, Paul? I fought the right fight. I didn't fight the fight of possessions. I could have fought well in the fight of possessions, but fought the wrong fight. I didn't fight the fight of success and business success. And I could have fought that fight, Paul would say. But I, I fought the right... What'd you do, Paul? I gave my life to invest in others. Here's all I'm telling you. You want to win at life? You want to be great? You want to matter? Because don't we all want to matter? Look, I, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I want to matter. I hope you want to matter. How much you matter will be determined on how you invested yourself in the lives of others. And you, here's what Paul, Paul put it this way. You've got to fight the correct fight. You've got to fight the good fight. There's a second thing Paul said. Keep your place there in Luke if you would. We're going to come back to that part of the Bible. But go, go back to 2 Timothy. Keep your place in Luke, 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're having a conversation with an old man. His name's Paul. He's ready to die. And we're just asking Paul, Paul, what, what got you to this place where you're ready? We know you got regrets. We know... You're not perfect, but you're ready. How'd you do it, Paul? You say, well, number one, I fought the right fight. I fought a good fight. You say, number two, to win at life and to end our lives well, we must finish the course. Notice, notice again, verse seven, I fought a good fight. And Paul says, but that's not all. I didn't just fight a good fight. He said, I have finished my course. I have finished my course. You're there in 2 Timothy 4. Flip a few chapters back to 2 Timothy 2, if you would. And let me say this. We live in a society full of quitters. Isn't that true? I mean, we, we live in a culture that's kind of a quitting culture. You don't believe me? Look at the divorce rate. Paul says, you want to know how I got to the end of my life ready? He said, I fought the good fight, but he said, but I also determined to finish my course. I determined to finish. And look, here, here's the point, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, we should want to finish well. We should want to finish and finish well. And it's interesting because in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 5, he says this. He uses another sports analogy. Look at it. He says, and if a man also strive for mastery, 2 Timothy 2, 5. He said, if a man is engaged, he's a gladiator, he's striving for masteries, yet is he not crowned. You say, here's a guy that was fighting, he was engaged, but he didn't get the crown. He didn't win. Why? Except he strived lawfully. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, in a race, in a fight, in a sports game, there are rules that you have to follow. And here's the thing, you can have all the talent, you can have all the energy, you can have all the momentum, you can have everything you want and, and, and everything you need to win and then realize you didn't get the gold medal, you didn't get the crown, you didn't get the point, you didn't win because you were disqualified. You, you, you won the race, but unfortunately your foot was over the line, you're disqualified. Yeah, you, you, you caught the touchdown, but your foot was uh, uh, out, out of bounds. You're disqualified. And what he's saying is this, that to win in sports, you not only have to win, but you have to win lawfully. 
You have to win but with the rules that are set. He says, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. And here's what he's telling you and I. He's saying, look, fight the right fight by the right rules. Don't disqualify yourself. A great illustration for this is the ministry, pastors. You know, you can pastor for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, be faithful, love people, serve people, have God use you to build a great church. Many, we've seen many pastors then go commit adultery and disqualify yourself. Go do something stupid and disqualify yourself. Did you win? No, you lost. Because we should determine, we should determine to not only fight the right fight, but we should determine to finish the course. We should uh, determine to finish well. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. If, if you kept your place in Luke, continue to keep your place in Luke because we're going to come right back to it. But go to, and from, from Luke, you've got John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So keep your place in Luke. We're coming right back to it. But uh, go to uh, uh, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. He, he brings us up. If you remember, we spent the first several weeks of this sermon series dissecting 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. If you weren't here for those sermons, I'd encourage you to catch them. They're on our website. They're on our YouTube channel. You can catch up to those. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Remember? You got to run to obtain what does winning look like in your life. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it for, to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You've got to choose the eternal over the temporal. You must choose the important over the immediate. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Don't get distracted fighting the wrong fight, beating the air. If you're going to fight, actually make an impact. Verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, don't miss this, I myself should be a castaway. What's Paul saying? He said, I fought the right fight, but I also was determined to finish my course. I did not want to. I did not want to, after giving my life to this, when I have preached to others that I myself should be a castaway. Here's what he's saying. I didn't want to, after doing all this, get disqualified. I want to finish. And I want to finish well. Go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, if you kept your place there in Luke, Luke chapter 9, look verse 62. Luke chapter 9. And look at verse 62. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, putting his hand to the work, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Don't look back, just determine to finish. Determine to finish and determine to finish well. Determine to finish not disqualified, not having disqualified yourself. Paul says, you want to get to the end of your life and have won? Here's how you do it. You fight the good fight and you determine to finish. He says, I fought a good fight. He says, I finished my course. He says, I finished well. I didn't want to get disqualified. But he says, you know what? It's not just about finishing well. I also want to finish happy. Go to Acts chapter 20. I want you to notice what Paul says in Acts 20. You're there in Luke. You've got uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. John, Acts 20. Luke, John, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. 
Notice what Paul says in Acts 20 24. Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. He says, But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might, don't miss these words, finish my course. Isn't that what he said in 2 Timothy? I fought a good fight, I finished my course. But I want you to notice what he says in Acts. He says, that I might finish my course. And then he throws in these two words, with joy. That I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, Paul says, look, you want to get to the end of your life. You want to get to the end of your life knowing that you fought in the right fight. That you did not fight uh, uh, the wrong fight. And you did not give your energy and your investment into that which did not matter. You want to choose the eternal over the temporal. You want to choose the immediate, uh, excuse me, the important over the immediate. He says, you want to make sure you're in the right fight. But then he says this, once you're in the right fight, you want to make sure you finished your course. He said, you want to finish well. Don't disqualify yourself. And then he says this. And why don't you try finishing happy with joy? And here's the truth. Here's the truth. If our impact and our influence, right? If our greatness is determined by our investment in relationships, then there are some relationships that we should not give up on. Do you understand what I just said? If our impact, if our fighting the good fight is based on relationships, not possessions, relationships, not achievement, if it's based on our interaction with other people, Paul says, I want you to fight the right fight, a relational fight, and then he says, and I want you to finish your course. Here's what that means. There are some relationships you should not give up on. You say, what are they? Well, I mean, there's lots of them, but let me give you three that are just prevalent in our society. How about not giving up on your marriage? You know the Bible says that God hates divorce? The biblical word for divorce, the term for divorce is putting away. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, the Lord hates putting away. Now look, if you're divorced and you've been divorced, I'm not trying to pick on you. If that's in your past, ask God to forgive you and move on. You've been, I've been divorced and remarried, then stay married to the one you're married to. And I'm not trying to pick on you, but those of you that have not been divorced, don't do it. Finish the course. Finish well. And, and how about this? Finish with joy. The, the, goal, you know, the goal in marriage is not, well, we never got a divorce. We made it to the bitter end. I don't, is, that, is that winning? Is that what winning looks like? No, look, I'm against divorce. Make it to the end. But how about making it with joy? How about making it happy? Don't quit on your marriage. And here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. If the goal is to finish with joy, relationally, if our, if the goal, look, if the goal is to finish your marriage with joy, if your goal is to finish your marriage with joy, then you'll do marriage differently. If your goal is to finish marriage with joy, Husband, you'll treat your wife differently. Wife, you'll treat your husband differently. Don't give up on the relate. Look, the, your greatness will be determined on the relationships, the investment you made into relationship. Other than your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no greater relationship for those of you that are married than with your spouse. So finish well. Don't disqualify yourself. And how about this? Finish happy. Make that a goal. To finish with joy. How about this one, your relationship with your children? You'd be shocked how many people just give up on their children. They're just done. 
I'm just done. I just whatever. Let them. Let them just. I just need them gone. You, you'd be shocked how often. And look, here's all I'm telling you. And I realize there's frustrating things and there's hard things and there's difficult things. And sometimes that happens and ki- kids hurt you and, and relationships get hard. And look, I understand that. But please, please get this. Aren't you glad you've got a heavenly father that doesn't give up on you? Now, if you've got a father that won't give up on you, why give up on your kids? And here's all I'm telling you. If the goal is, and I don't know about you, but for me and my wife, our goal is to raise children that love the Lord, love their siblings, and love their parents even when they don't have to. They can come to church and go to church because we force them when they're 9 and 10 and 11. Success will be when they're 21 and 22 and 23 and they come to church because they want to. We can make them love us and love their siblings and love other believers around them because we just make them. Success will be when they're 25 and 26 and 27 and they love their siblings and they love their parents just because they want to. Do you understand what I'm saying? And here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I'm telling you. If success, if winning in parenting is parenting children that love the Lord and love their parents, even when they don't have to, you'll parent differently. So what does the world do? I mean, what does the average dad in this world do? They bash their kids. They down-talk their kids. They insult their children. They treat their children like servants for, for them to be benefactors. And Jesus says, you never saw me do that. He said, I was here to serve and to help you succeed. And here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. If two individuals in a marriage wake up every day saying, I am here to try to help the other succeed. If a mom and dad wake up every day and say, God has given me these children to try to help them succeed and prepare them for life. You'll end differently. And you'll end with joy. Paul would say this. Paul would say, I am ready. I am ready because I have fought the good fight. And he says, I am ready because I did not quit. I finished my course. I finished it well. And I finished it with joy. Let me give you a third one. We'll finish up. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 7. Paul says, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And he says this, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. What does that mean? Here's what, here's what it means. I ended my life consistent. I ended my life consistently. You don't have to turn to these passages. I'll just read these for you. Ephesians 4, verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, the Bible says this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, forever, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Proverbs 24 and verse 21 says this, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, meddle not with those that are given to change. And by the way, this is what the entire Sunday night series we're going through, the Declaring Doctrine. What is that whole series about? It's all about teaching you what the Bible teaches about doctrine so that you will not change. You want to win at life? You say, I'm an independent Baptist. Well, great. Praise the Lord. You know what your goal should be to end an independent Baptist? 
I'm King James only and King James only. I'm eternal security and eternal security. I'm a soul winner and, and being a soul winner. He says, I kept the faith. He said, I was consistent in life. It wasn't a fad for me. It wasn't a season of life for me. It wasn't just something I kind of got caught up in. I watched this documentary and it got me kind of excited. I showed up to church one day and it's just kind of something I did. Paul said, this was my life. How do you win? How do you win? You win by winning, by fighting the right fight. By determining to finish and determined to finish consistently, he said, I kept the faith. I wasn't up and down and in and out. We'll learn about that in our Revelation, uh, Churches of Revelation. I wasn't lukewarm. He said, I chose a side. And I stayed there. And I stuck there. And I got to it. Go to Ecclesiastes, if you would. We're, 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 we're almost done. We're going to look at three passages. Three passages, we'll finish up. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, if you open up your Bible, it's right in the center, right after Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. This is Paul. And Paul says, I had joy. I did it with joy. Look, you know, it's, it's a joyful thing to be an independent fundamental Baptist. I, I'm a fundamentalist. But you, you can be a fundamentalist with joy. I can be happy in the service of the Lord. Hey, look, if, 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 if the goal is to end the ministry with joy, if the goal is to end the ministry with joy, I'll pastor different. You'll live the Christian life differently if that's the goal. And let me just say something about joy. Do you understand that happiness is a state of mind? It's a choice you make. I, I, I read recently in a book, I thought it was great, we were talking about this last night, um, I read this quote. I thought it was, it was a great quote. No one can hurt you without your consent. Do you realize that? No one can hurt you without your consent. No one can offend you without your permission. You say, I'm just not happy. That, that, look, you are giving someone, the, he makes me so mad. Well, then you gave him the power to make you mad. She makes me so angry. Then you've given her the ability to make you so angry. Because Paul would say, Paul would say, I think myself happy. <laughs> you can choose to be happy. You can choose to be joyful. And by the way, let me, let me just say this. Realize this. Realize this. There's always going to be people. There's always going to be people. Look, when you're happy, when you're happy, you're just happy in the service of the Lord, there's going to be people trying to tear away at that. People want to take your happiness. They're angry. They're bitter. They're upset. And they don't, they, you know, misery loves company. And look, people are always going to be trying to take away your happiness. You must determine in your mind, this is a choice I make. Paul would say it this way, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. This is a decision that I make. Somebody is going to walk up to me after church this morning and say, Pastor, did you notice the attendance was down on Super Bowl Sunday? I'll be like, yeah, I, I noticed that our church is filled with a bunch of carnal Christians. What, what, what do you want me to say to that? <laughs> you, you say, well, what do you say to that? I say, well, I'm happy I was in church. Yeah. I was happy for everyone that did show up. And this is a bad crowd anyway. <laughs> and here's all I'm telling you. Here's all I'm telling you. Happiness is something you decide. It's a decision you make. They make me so angry. Well, why did you give them the power to do that? 
to you. Because Paul says, Paul would say, I'm going, he says, none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. He says, my joy is not affected by other people. It's not affected by circumstances. It's not affected by what they did and what they said. Because my joy is found in the Lord. Ecclesiastes 7, let's finish this up. Look at verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8. It is important how you start. But you know what's more important? How you finish. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 2, notice what he says. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feastings, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. Here's what he's saying. And I know this sounds odd, but here's what he's saying. And go to 2 Timothy, if you would. We're going to finish up. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. He's saying, in life, in life, you and I are to strive. We ought to strive to have a better day of death than we had a day of birth. Now, hopefully the day that you were born was a happy day. I'm sure that the day you were born, people were happy. People were crying with joy. There was a mom and a dad and maybe aunts and uncles and grandparents and, 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 and other people there. Hopefully the day that you were born was a happy day and was a joyful day. But here's what uh, uh, Solomon is telling us. He says, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. He said, look, I hope that your day, the day of your birth was a happy day. But he says, live your life in a way that the day of your death will be better. That people will say, that people will say, we were happy he was born because of the impact and the influence that he had upon our lives. Because of the impact and the influence that she had upon our lives. Because of the life that they lived. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, starting is good, but ending is better. So end well. Notice 2 Timothy 4 eight. Paul, the agent, right? Paul, the elder, he says, For I am now ready, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Then he says this in verse 8. He says, henceforth. That word henceforth means because of this reason, because of these things, because of the way that I lived my life. He says, There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Say, Paul, what are you saying? Here's what he's saying. I won. He said, I won at life. He said, I ran to win, and at the end, I can tell you, I won. I wasn't perfect. I've got regrets. I've made mistakes. I was a sinner. But he said, I won. You say, why? Well, henceforth, because I fought a good fight. Because I finished my course. Because I kept the faith. And you've got a decision to make in your life. And for the last five weeks, we've been drawing it out and, and, and learning about it. 
You need, you say, I, I've already lived half my life, Pastor. You don't understand. I've already raised my children. I've already done. Look, finish well. Say, so maybe my start was rough. Then finish well. You have the ability to take control of your life right now. So what does winning look like in your life? And will you choose the eternal over the temporal? Will you choose the important over the immediate? Will you determine not to be distracted? And will you end well? And will you end well? Will you get to the end of your life like Paul and say, I'm ready? Or will you get to the end saying, I'm regretting what I've done in my life? Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for allowing us to be able to go through this study. And I know that it was very practical at times and kind of philosophical at others. But Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, all of us, to wrestle down this idea. How will I end life? Ready or regretful? And Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to get on our course and to run, to obtain, to win. Help us not to fight the wrong fights. Help us not to engage in that which doesn't matter. Help us to focus on that which is eternal, on that which is important, on our relationships. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to get to the end of our lives and be able to say, I mattered. I made a difference. I made an impact, I influence. Because I know that's what we all want. Help us do that. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.